Hey everyone, welcome to Fatal Error. I'm Chris. And I'm Sarush. And this week on the podcast, we have a special guest, a uh, friend of the show, Jason Brennan. Uh, Jason, you want to say hi? Hey! <laughs> so this week we thought uh, we thought it would be cool to chat with Jason about a project that he's been working on and sort of his motivations for the project and wh- uh, what makes it really interesting um, and why, why we think it's really cool. Uh, Zarush, did you have like anything else to add before we just dive in? Uh, no, uh, all I want to add is I've seen videos of this project in progress and it's really cool. And I'm super excited to talk to Jason about it. Cool. I've seen just bits and pieces on Twitter. Uh, so I'll look forward to, to hearing more about it. Where's a good place to start? Jason, do you want to... Maybe we start in like 1964 with like Alan K's first work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it depends how much time you got. <laughs> so I guess to kick us off, um, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the app does and what it is for? Yeah, so um, the app is kind of a, a combination of a lot of things. Um, I've been describing it to people lately as a creative power tool for kids. Um, so it's it's an app. It's a Mac app. And the it can do a few things. You can make um, you can make art. You can make music. You can make um, interactive art and music and games and simulations. Um, so it's one part like drawing app, one part kind of uh, programming environment, um, and it's also it's also eventually going to be um, networked so that you can um, share your projects with other people over the internet, and you can take their projects and play them and you can remix them and copy and paste bits that you like from theirs into yours. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of things. Um, maybe like juiced up hypercard for 2017 is the short way. Hypercard is definitely an inspiration. So for those who, who haven't heard of hypercard or aren't familiar with it, it was uh, a Mac app that Apple made in the late eighties and early nineties. And it was, it looked kind of like a drawing app, like a Mac paint or, um, or, or like MS paint in that style. But instead of drawing just plain old pictures, you were drawing user interfaces. Um, and they could look like a normal picture, but they could also have buttons in them and, and different kind of UI elements. And then you would, you would draw out your interface and then you would start adding interactivity to it. So you would say, when this button is clicked, I want you to go to this other page. So in that way, it was kind of like a hypertext. It was like a link to a, another another page. They called them cards, um, as in hypercard. And um, this this is before the web, by the way. This is like what the web should have been. Um, not only was it was it um, really easy to make like direct links from card to card, but if you were using somebody else's card, like if you brought it over on a floppy disk or whatever, and you you really like, you know, what Chris made in, in HyperCard, you could just like copy and paste elements from his cards or his stacks into your programs, just like you would copy and paste everything on a Mac, because that's what you do. Right. Um, the the idea like that the web works the way it does it does today, where you you can't just like copy and paste a part of a web page into your web page and have it work. You can like kind of mess around with the source code if you're if you're lucky, but like um, anyway, so that, that's what HyperCard was like. And so I, I am definitely very inspired by that, um, the idea of just seeing a part of a, a program or a, a piece of software that you like and just selecting it, copying it, and pasting it into yours is, is I mean, it's just, it's really cool. That's so the I, dream, I wanna right? <laughs> definitely want to, yeah, absolutely. Like, this is, this is how I think software should be made. Um, uh, I remember know, they, 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 uh, back in the day, 
I, it was like elementary school and I had to do a presentation on squids, I think. And I made the mm-hmm. whole thing in HyperCard, not really realizing that it could be a programming tool, just like making a nonlinear slideshow about squids in HyperCard. And this was like third grade. We had, yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And I think that's, that's a really powerful part of it too, is like a lot of people just saw HyperCard as, as something like that. Um, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to program something. I'm going to make an app or anything like that. Like it, 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 and I think that, um, that is kind of part of the beauty, the beauty and the power of it is like, you, you don't approach it as like, oh, this is just a crappy programming tool or, or a stunted programming tool. You're just like, no, this is, this is like a drawing tool on crack. Like this is, <laughs> this is hypercard. Yeah. I, um, I don't even know if I knew what programming was at the time, but like, I just clicked buttons and put stuff down and made a cool thing and got like, I don't know, I made a cool presentation out of it. And it was like, well, I think that's I think that's kind of a the cool thing about hype and I I've never used hypercard actually but I think that's kind of the cool thing right you can do these cool things without ever realizing like oh this is this is programming kind of right, right. um I I, th- I feel like Jason may have some thoughts about that too <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure um I mean one of the reasons why I I'm excited about that aspect where there there is programming in this system but it's not like the centerpiece it's not the the point of of this app. Um, is because I, I find as soon as you start calling something programming, especially if it's a kid's app, especially if it's something for kids, as soon as you use, you invoke the word programming or, or code, if you call it code, then you're kind of falling into this, this trap where like it, it's, it's now looked upon as like, okay, well, what kind of code is it? Are you learning like JavaScript? Are you learning Swift? <laughs> Are you learning Python or whatever? And, and so there's there's that style of app, and then there's the um, well, it's not it's not Swift, it's like a blocks based app or something like that. Um, as soon as you start calling it programming, the question becomes like, okay, well, how do kids graduate from this into something like Swift or Python or whatever? And um, I I think that's kind of taking it in the completely wrong direction. That's that's something that I want to avoid. Like I don't want this to be a learn to code app. I want this to be a a creative tool that just happens to have like superpowers behind it. Right. That makes total sense. So what's an example of a small thing that you could make your graphics do? Yeah. So, I mean, the very basic ones are just small interactivity of like jumping from place to place. So kind of like if you could rebuild your, your squid project, uh, in, in this app, the app is called beach, by the way, um, which I can explain the name a little bit later. Um, but so you, you could build something like that, sort of like an interactive slideshow or like, um, you know, you could reinvent the game mist if you wanted. I, I believe mist was actually built in hypercard originally. I might be wrong about that, but I think it was, that is bananas. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you could you can build very basic things like that in it. Um, but the more interesting things are, um, well, you have a whole programming engine behind behind this app. Um, so you can do things like um, script little objects on a canvas. So like, let's say uh, the example that I like to go back to is is simulating an ant hill. So you make an ant. Uh, maybe it's just the ant emoji or whatever. Uh, and then you you start giving it behaviors. You tell it to move around. Um, and like, what do ants like to do? They like to forage for food. Um, so you you also add some, some food objects, maybe like the apple emoji or the um, flower emoji or whatever ants eat. I'm not really sure. <laughs> and... Um, and then you you start programming these ants to um, to like forage for food and 
what's exciting to me about this is that, um, you know, if you, if you learn about how ants actually do this, the, the actual creatures, they, um, there's no like centralized control with ants. There's no like, there is a queen ant, but the queen ant doesn't like instruct the ants on what to do. The ants are, are kind of self-guided, um, partly by evolution and, and partly by like the runtime, um, of, of just the ant hive. So the ant hills. So they, uh, they go out and they find food. They, they kind of just wander aimlessly. They find food. And then when they find it, they, they start dropping this pheromone as they walk back towards their, their anthill. Now, other ants that are also wandering will, um, if they find this pheromone, they'll instead start, they'll stop wandering and they'll start following the pheromone. And then they'll find the food faster. And then they'll drop more pheromone, which just kind of has this positive feedback loop. So that the other ants foraging will just like you'll you'll find the food a lot faster right um so you can you can build this thing in beach and and like see it happen right before your eyes um yeah the thing i've always heard with the ants is like they're really good they're really good like model of emergent behavior so like mm-hmm. for an anthill you would say um to make an anthill you don't need rules or blueprints or plans you just say pick up a grain of sand if you're not carrying a grain of sand and if you are mm-hmm. carrying a grain of sand take it to the highest point and drop it there and then yeah. with those two simple behaviors, you can basically simulate hmm. a, a like, you could not simulate, but you could create an anthill if you were a large set of ants. Huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a, a great book on this topic of this sort of decentralized uh, thinking and modeling called um, Turtles, Termites, and Traffic Jams. And it's by Mitch Resnick. I'll, we'll, I'll give you a link for the show notes. Um, anyway, this is a, a programming book from the 90s about a decentralized programming system. And uh, so I'm drawing a little bit of inspiration from there, kind of as, as like nice example projects to, to push with. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to see this sort of behavior emerge with just by programming very simple rules. Huh. So, so, I mean, th- that's one sort of thing you can build in Beach. Um, I, don't, I certainly don't think that every child is going to like want to do that all the time. Um, I, I wouldn't want to make them do that either. That sounds kind of monotonous, but um, I, I want I want it to be able to handle complex things like that, um, so that you can you can do something really cool. Um, but I also want to allow fun things. So one thing that I'm really pushing for is the ability to um, program with color. So um, so color is is this fascinating thing. Uh, which is kind of an understatement. Um, so we, we see color all the time, but a lot of us don't really stop to think about how to how to think about color. Um, so having it in, a, in a, a creative tool, like if you use a drawing app or if you use something like Beach, um, you can kind of explore color for what it is. So you you can break it apart into color components. Um, if you if you learn art in school, like in elementary school or something, you probably learn about color pigments, how there's like, um, what is it? Red, blue, and yellow are the primary colors and how you can mix them. You learn about the color wheel a little bit about like, um, color components or, um, complementary colors and, and different, different assortments of colors. Um, if you're a programmer, you also learn about color in terms of, of color spaces like RGB, red, red, green, blue color spaces, how a color can be broken down into, into numbers and then how you can manipulate those numbers to change the color. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really, really fun to work with because first of all, color is just beautiful. Like it, it doesn't matter what numbers I put into a color in, into some sort of color scheme like that. I get something that, that is surprising to me. Um, and then to be able to learn how to work with color more systematically to learn like 
something like HSL, which is hue, saturation, and lightness, um, to be able to break a color down into that, um, to, to vary how bright a color is, to vary how like intense a color is and see like how you can, how you can think about that mathematically is, is really exciting as well. So I want to, I want to enable all sorts of like fun and funky art projects, um, there was this there was this line in um, Guardians of the Galaxy two, the sequel that came out this past summer, um, where where the main character he he's on he's on this planet, and he's kind of given these godlike powers where he can he can make whatever he wants, and he says something to the effect of like, "Oh, I'm gonna make weird shit." <laughs> uh, that line like really spoke to me. Like I want I want every kid to to kind of get that feeling when they see this app, like, oh man, I'm going to make some weird shit with this. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, whether they say it out loud or not, that's up to them. <laughs> yeah. I, um, one thing I want to throw in on the color note is like this concept even of sort of mixing colors to get other colors, uh, that like red and yellow mixed to make orange. Um, I remember learning that in high school and middle school in art classes, but once I got to be an adult, I kind of learned that not everybody learns that and not everybody just mm. knows that as like a thing that like, oh, obviously like red and purple, red, red and blue make purple or whatever. And mm. so even something that seems like the simplest part of it of just like mixing literal paint and getting a color out of it is something that not everybody gets as part of their education. And like if Beach gives you the place to play with those colors and like figure that stuff out and explore that space. And like, I don't know, that's the thing that not everybody has and like that everybody could have and it could be really cool. Yeah. I don't know. Something that's really special about computers is, is the idea that they can scale ideas like that really easily. Um, books, books did that for, for a long time. Um, you know, you, you can have a good teacher, a good human teacher who, who might be able to teach you about certain things, but like, you know, say Socrates, like there's only one Socrates, but by, by writing down his writings, like his teachings, then now there's like thousands of copies of Socrates everywhere. Right. And, and these books, these copies of Socrates are like, are kind of ghosts of him. They're not, they're not like the real thing. They're not as good as, as having a human being, but they're kind of the shadow of, of what he can teach that can reach more people. Um, now a computer can can do a little bit more. It can reach more people because more people um, have access to use computers, um, and seemingly computers are easier to use than books are to read. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but uh, <laughs> they're also they're also interactive. So like you have you can imagine having an app like Beach that has this kind of library of ideas that you can explore. Um, it's networked, so you can go out. You can find other users you can find maybe uh, i don't know some sort of equivalent of github but in beach where you can just find these ideas that you can explore so you yeah you have access to learning about color you have access to learning about ants you have access to video games you have access to all these things um that's that's squid, kind of squid like presentations the, would you say squid presentations <laughs> there it's possible that there will be a few of those if you if and when you release that i'm going to make a squid presentation in your I'll app, look forward and to I'm that. going to publish it on the internet. Oh, you should, you should. We'll put it in the demo video. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Apple, I think, had tried to make iBooks into something that enabled this kind of like interactive, like interactive learning or interactive textbooks of some sort, right? Um, mm -hmm. What uh, and 
I haven't really used any iBooks that do anything like this, and maybe that's just because, uh, I don't know, uh, any iBooks that I want to read aren't, like, don't have this behavior in them. Have you used any iBooks that do anything like this, or um, is that, how how has that worked in your view? Yeah, I, um, I I haven't really used very many. Um, I've explored them a little bit, like when when these kind of enhanced iBooks came out. Um, I played around with them a little bit. Um, there is certainly interesting. Um, it's hard to produce, I, I imagine. Um, Apple does provide an app, or at least used to, called iBooks Author. I think it was a Mac app, and you could you could create these sort of enhanced books with them. Um, but but producing some sort of uh, interactive simulation or some sort of interactive thingy for lack of a better term in in an iBooks thing um it requires programming it requires high production values to get something mm-hmm. nice it requires probably like an art team or somebody who can model things with the 3D tool um so that that's that's hard it doesn't mean it's it's not worth it but um yeah there i think it's an an interesting attempt but like a lot of things that Apple does they kind of made it and threw it against the wall and then like moved on to something else yeah um so which is a shame yeah that's that's kind of the feeling that i got um so so in beach if i mean programming uh adding behaviors to things doesn't look like traditional programming or you know like typing commands in uh what what does it look like like how do you go about how does the user go about adding behavior to some part of their their system yeah. Um, okay, so we're all going to have to use our imaginations here a little bit because this is a podcast and I'm talking about a visual programming environment. So okay. It's really the best best place to talk about a visual programming. <laughs> we're all at a little a little bit of a disadvantage here. Well, Sarish and I have like just dictated code at each other before on the podcast, so... <laughs> there you go. This will there be better go. than that, This is nothing. This is nothing, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so so... The whole environment is graphical. Um, now, when a lot of people think of graphical programming, they think of like um, boxes and arrows drawn, like like a UML diagram, basically. Right. Because um, because that's what a lot of graphical programming is. It's highly unimaginative um, and just generally terrible. I, I also think about like I had a, a Lego ro- Mindstorms robotic thing when I when I was growing up, and mm-hmm. you could program it by dragging like blocks into place, and that wasn't exactly UML, but it. it I mean, mm-hmm. it's similar, right? Right. Um, the nice thing about blocks, uh, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with with blocks in programming <laughs> environments. Um, I, I used to work on an app called Hopscotch. Uh, it's a programming environment for kids on the iPad and now iPhone. Um, and it's it's involves a lot of drag-and-drop blocks. Um, so blocks are wonderful for, for children in a lot of ways because blocks, um, it, it's, you know, it's a rectangle, Um and it has text in it and parameters that you you add values to. Um, the beauty of that is that you're not typing any code. So the fact that you're not typing means a few things. It means that, first of all, you don't have to type, which for, for a child is usually a barrier. Um, so they don't have to learn how to type. You also can't have a syntax error, which is like a huge deal. Um, the program always stays consistent, like always stays mm-hmm. the memory representation is consistent because it's... Um, it's kind of always in the format of a program, which is amazing. You you just can't break it. Um, you can still have bugs, of course, but you you can't have something that doesn't compile. Um, so that those two things are fantastic. Um, but blocks kind of fall short in the sense that a lot of programming environments treat them as like some sort of some sort of cure all for for 
difficult programming, and they're not. They're they're mm-hmm. useful. They're necessary, but not sufficient to have like a good programming environment. Beach is a little different, where it has the benefits of um, you don't have to type out your code, and you can't have syntax errors um, in in your programs. But um, because Beach is is a graphical environment. Um, Everything that you use is a graphic. So um, that that sounds kind of like a tautology, and it is, but it's it's something that I have to remind myself of constantly as I'm working with with Beach. So in um, in a standard programming language, like say Swift, um, your code is is just text. It's just plain ASCII or Unicode text, um, which means that that in order to have meaningful symbols, so like a variable name or a function name or a class name or something like that, the only way that you can give um, identity so that the compiler can can like match up one symbol with another one is by having the exact same set of characters. It's it's based solely on the text. So if you, if you use a class name but you spell it wrong somewhere, that's broken. Um, Swift can't figure out what you mean by that. Um, but in a graphical programming environment, you don't need to have things have the same name everywhere because their identity is based on on some sort of other identifier. So maybe it's a pointer address, maybe it's a, a UUID or something like that. Um, but it means that you can have flexible representations of the same thing. So I might I might make a block or uh, uh, an instruction of code um, somewhere, and then drop it into a script, like a function um, for my program, for adding behavior to an object. Um, but the nice thing is, is that doesn't have to look the same as where I got it from. So um, you can have different representations of things. You can also um, search for objects. You can pick them out of palettes. You can use the toolbox. Um, you can copy them from other people's programs. Um, the instructions tend to look like text. They tend to look like like words. So... Um, an example that that I was working with the other day would be um, make the ant. Uh, it said, um, "Ant turn towards uh, turn towards the ant hill" or something like that. And and it reads quite like plain text. Um, it's a, it's a sentence. It looks like a piece of UI. You can interact with it. You can click on on the parameters. You can add new values or change values, but. Um, it, it it sounds like it's kind of and from the screenshots and stuff I've seen, it's like a structured thing where you can kind of stick in parameters to make it act the way you want to act. Right. So, um, have you are you familiar with the app Automator that comes on on OS X? Right. Yeah. Yes, I use it for renaming yeah. files. Yeah. So, Automator is is kind of a little programming environment that Apple ships on on oh, the yeah. Mac. Uh, um, it, it's very it's relatively straightforward. You pick from a library of of functionality. So you you have things for like doing actions in Finder, doing actions in Preview, doing actions in Keynote, doing actions in whatever. Um, and then from from each application, you pick from a list of things that it can do. So Finder can like enumerate files. It can rename files. It can open folders. It can copy folders. Preview can export images from a a PDF or so on. Um, And you kind of just chain these instructions one after another. Um, Now, those instructions don't look like code, but it's doing a very similar job. It's it's a a list of ordered ordered instructions that are going to run in time, um, forming almost like a pipeline. Um, And so... 
Beach is kind of similar that way. It doesn't it doesn't look like Automator, but it follows the same idea. Of you have a, a list of instructions. Um, it also can do conditional, so you can have if statements. Um, it can do branching and loops and and so on like that. Um, but it, so it won't it won't look foreign to anybody who's programmed before. Um, but it, it it is not uh, it is not text. You're not typing it in. Hmm. Okay. So it sounds like you're sort of combining the um, maybe block based philosophy with more I don't, more text like uh, less graphical con- like components maybe that that you have more more control over. That's right. So so some things are just expressed in in text. Other things I'm I'm it's all in flux right now, but I'm sure, working yeah. on. Um, you know, if if you're working with geometry, like one thing that I I'm really excited about is is being able to program with with geometry. Um, so maybe you have you have a circle and you have a square and you have a line. Um, each of those things has has different objects within it. So a rectangle has has at least nine objects within it. It has a top left corner, a top middle, a top right corner, and and so on. Kind of like all nine nine points of it. Um, and you can think of those as discrete objects. You can also think of the sides of a rectangle as an object. So, like the left edge and the right edge are two separate objects of that of that um, shape. So, if you're programming with that, I, I think it would be great if your actual program showed a picture of of that object that you're dealing with. So, if you're if you're saying like um, move the center of of this circle. Um, to this new position, like why not show in your program the the circle and the center being acted upon instead of it just being text? Um, so I'm I'm experimenting with that right now to to try to make it to make it so that your instructions have a lot more connection to the thing that you're working on. Uh, uh, so one one thing that I'm not quite following is is it a representation over time or is it a representation? Like you, you said, like okay, well, if I want to move the the center of this circle to over here uh, mm-hmm. as an instruction, what is that representation that you're looking at? Is it like over time, is like oh, well, at time t equals zero, and you know, it made it represent as t equals zero to the user, but whatever. At t equals zero, it looks like this. At t equals five, it looks like this. Or is it a, a different thing? Uh, it depends. So most of the time, I imagine you'd be writing a script that says that say. Uh, You'll be writing a script that repeats, say, every frame, every sixtieth of a second, or something like that. Um, so it it will just be kind of running continuously, applying this behavior over and over. Right, like on so, every tick, um, essentially. Right. So on every tick, do this. Um, there can be other triggers. So like when this object is clicked, trigger the trigger the script. But but you know, one example would be every every tick. So um, these instructions that you're writing are are basically like per unit of of execution so like per tick so you'll have if you have six six instructions in your program those six instructions will run in order every frame so if i if i had one where it was you know move the center of the circle to the end of of my velocity arrow or whatever right um that that would be move do that move every time the program executes um, which, which if you're doing that 60 times a second it can be kind of hard to imagine like how the program is actually going to run so um if if you're using a standard programming language or like many blocks programming languages, you're kind of stuck at this point. You you have to then like imagine what the program's going to do over time. Um, but this environment actually visualizes what the program does over time 
inside the program itself. So you have you have a line of code or a line of instruction text, and then immediately underneath of that, in the current design at least, uh, is a visualization of what that does every frame. So you can kind of like play through your whole program and see it, uh, see how it executes, like in line with the code as you're writing it. Gotcha. So this is sort of uh, okay. sort of like a Brit Victorian, um, you know, kind of a stop drawing dead fish kind of thing where you, you use the representations in the graphical programming language to also represent the values and actions and whatever as well. Yeah, as as best you can. Now, not everything has a graphical representation that makes sense. Yeah. So it would be kind of silly to do that. So so you know, there's there's just straight up math of like, I need to write this formula. Um, that doesn't always make sense to do graphically or geometrically. Um, so in that case, you know, you would just you would just write it out like a normal math expression. But um, if it does make sense to do so, like if it does make sense to work with geometry, then I would love to to have you actually work with the geometry uh, in the actual program instructions right. whenever possible. I have, I have one question, which is essentially like, um, when I have a Swift program, I hit run and it has some initial state based on how the code is set up. And then also based on how the code is set up, it mutates that initial state over time. Um, mm -hmm. My understanding, I've never programmed in something like Smalltalk, is that your program just is, and it is always kind of quote-unquote running, and your, um, like, as you add code, you're kind of adding it to the live environment that you're already in, and so the state that the program is currently in is also the initial state. Like, there is no concept of, like, an initial state. So what I'm curious about with your thing is, Essentially, like, is there an initial state that you set up and then run from that initial state? Or is it like an environment where you are dynamically adding behaviors and removing behaviors to like play with the system? Yeah, so there, there's no real initial state in this environment as, as, as it exists currently. Um, and, and that's the way I'd like to keep it if it, if I can. So, um, you, you kind of just have these objects around that, that always exist. And then you can, influence them with programs that you write. So like if I've got a script that say uh, makes my aunt wander for food or whatever, I, I get to control when that runs, but it doesn't like, there's no like time equals zero. There's just right, like, right, I'm right. either running the script or I'm not. Gotcha. Um, and then, so you yeah. can manipulate the objects uh, with these little programs, but you can also manipulate them directly by just picking them up with your mouse and putting them somewhere else, just like sketch or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, it's, a lot like a full-featured graphical drawing app, um, mm -hmm. which makes for like a really fun hello world. The hello world is just drag a text object onto the thing and type hello world into it. There's your hello world. Like that's that's it. Right. Um, yeah. Huh. <laughs> that's funny. okay. I think this is start. This is making more sense to me now. I think not having seen uh, like even a, a video demo like Suresh has, I'm um, coming at this with a pretty blank slate. But this, I, I think this makes sense. This sounds really cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of like like just picture picture an app like Sketch, a vector drawing app, um, infinite canvas that also instead of just graphics, you can make programs in it as well. Right, so a Sketch like yeah. for example has some features where you can like if you make a if you design like effectively what's a table cell, you can then duplicate it some number of times and insert data into it. Um, imagine that, but just like you know turned up to eleven. Okay, yeah. cool. So where are you right now? Like, how, What have you done on this project? And like, what are you excited to do next on the project? 
Yeah. So um, I've been working on this project full time for about three months now. And, um, and I, I started pretty much from scratch. So I started from, um, I, I have an idea. I have some notes in a notebook, a paper notebook, but I, I don't have anything else. Like I don't have any designs. I don't have any prototypes. I don't have anything. So I started from there and I, I've just been working off that. So I, I, um, have, have, kind of gathered my influences. I made a mood board in sketch of like everything that I, I am inspired by all of the different programming environments, all of the different, uh, other creative power tools, good quotes from, from papers on, on education and on, on childhood development and so on. And, um, I started with that and I, I kind of just drew i drew on paper i wrote notes to myself i keep a text file that i update every day i just kind of write like a, a dear diary of how <laughs> my day went um how my how my development time went whatever i'm thinking about whatever i'm stuck on right now um so i keep that every day um and i've i've just been making designs in in sketch it's i i love sketch um it's it's definitely a huge inspiration for me. So I've been I've been making designs, and then on the last month or so, I've been building prototypes. So what I mean by prototype is I I have a, a framework that I use. It's written in Swift. Uh, it's open source. It's called Prototope. I I worked on it while I was at Khan Academy. It was started by Andy Machusak at Khan Academy. And uh, I worked on it a little bit more. And then after I left Khan Academy, I, I took a fork of it and I've been maintaining a fork of that. So um, Prototope is a, a Swift framework and it's essentially like a nice wrapper around UI kit um, and also around app kit now on the Mac. Um, and, and what it does is it, 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 it lets you do things like get a view hierarchy up really fast. And it does that by... Um, making it really easy to just get a picture on screen. So like you can make a, instead of making a view, you make a layer um, and you can make a layer with an image and it's just on screen. You can add interactivity to it really quickly. You can, you can um, do everything you, you do for a professional app, but just like way faster and uh, hastier, I guess. Um, so I've been, I've been working on these prototypes every day. And usually what will happen is I will, I'll have an idea of something I need to explore. So usually it's, I have a, a graphic done up in sketch and I say, uh, this isn't good enough to prove whether this is a good idea or not. Or, or like, I have a hunch that this will be better once I play with it. Uh, or I have a hunch that this will suck once I play with it. Uh, both, both are kind of interesting things to figure out if I'm right or not. Um, so then I'll, I'll code up uh, uh, an interactive prototype that usually just focuses on one aspect, one element. So I've had prototypes that focus on just dragging things around the canvas. I've had prototypes that focus on pausing and and running a script i've had prototypes that that um work about um debugging scripts like those sorts of things so i I essentially pick like one aspect of a feature and just like build build out a quick example of it enough that i can get it working and then figure out what's wrong with it and then iterate on that and and fix it the next day nice cool Cool. And so lot, lots of prototypes is basically where you are now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. At this point, there, there's no, uh, there's definitely nothing that I could, I could ship, um, yeah. to, to anybody, but it's, it's enough basically to, uh, to be dangerous nice. for myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what are sort of the next things that you're really excited to test out? Yeah, that's that's actually a great question. The next the next things that I really have to figure out are um, basically how to make a program, uh, which you know, <laughs> not a small thing. But um, so I'm I'm ironing out um, 
I'm ironing out how how programs work. Um, what what sort of metaphors I want to go with of like, um, you know, how how are you supposed to think about this? Like, for example, um, a variable assigning something to a variable. Like you, we would all say this as programmers or as experienced programmers, like without really thinking about it. Of like, oh yeah, of course, you just assign a value to a variable. Like, duh. But that's a metaphor. Like that that there's not actually a variable that exists inside of your computer. That's an abstraction that we've like designed for human beings to understand what the computer is doing better. And so assigning a variable makes sense to us because we've done it and we're, we're experienced with it, but it, it's not necessarily the best metaphor for, for that. So the other metaphors might be like putting something in a box or labeling something that exists in memory somewhere. Um, so I'm kind of just like exploring these and trying to really get down to the, the heart of like if if I'm expecting an eight-year-old child to build a program with this, then like how am I going to meet them where they're at with their cognitive abilities, with their life experience such that this is going to make sense? Like I don't want to just be like, oh, kids, it's like your algebra class where you have X. You know, you love X. Um, <laughs> that's that's very that most- we all know and love. <laughs> That's right. I suspect that most kids don't love X. Uh, and so I kind of want to find something better like that that will tran- translate to them. What about Y? Ooh. Now, Y is that? much more interesting. That's right. I mean, I could talk about Y for hours. Uh, and, and in fact, I hope, that, I hope that kids will think about Y a lot more after using this app. Um, <laughs> That's a pretty good pun. Um, yeah. So why re- so we, you just kind of touched on this, but um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask is, what's your motivation for working on this project? What what are you trying to solve? What are you trying to change? Yeah. Um, so as a software developer, I think computers are amazing. Um, I, I think we kind of take that for granted sometimes of like how how incredible this this device that we stare at all the time is. Um, but it it is. Um, it's very good at simulating things. Um, it, that's what like took off computers in the eighties was the like desktop publishing. And like, if you think about what desktop publishing was, it was uh, a computer like a Macintosh simulating a, a design studio or or uh, layout process or printing press or something like that. Um, it was really good at doing this. So you have word processors. You have things like Photoshop start to come around. You have things like like Quark that can can lay out pages for magazines and books and so on. Um, the computer succeeded at that because it's really good at simulating that. And um, I think that's a power that everybody should have. I think that being able to to simulate things, you shouldn't just depend on what software developers can build for you. Um, because then you're you're beholden to somebody else's imagination, and like, hey, I've studied I've studied computer science, and I know a lot about that, but I I don't know a lot about any other domain in the world, basically. Um, so anybody who does mm-hmm. have experience with that or or expertise with that, they're kind of screwed. Like they can't just go out and build their own piece of software that that can really amplify what they're trying to do. Um, that's what the computer is. It's an amplifier of of abilities. Um, so I wanted to make an environment that that was about that, that was about uh, amplifying good human abilities to their fullest potential um, and letting letting people, letting children specifically learn how to do that uh, from a young age. And um, there are there are lots of learn to code things for kids. Uh, I've talked about some of them. Um, Apple's got one called Swift. They kind of want... If you look at their their material, their marketing material, they kind of want like every kid to learn to code Swift, um, which is like 
really strange if you think about it. Um, you know, it, it works in Apple's interest. They've got this this bizarre quest to rule the world with Swift, and I'm not exactly sure why. But um, I, I think when they talk about that, they mean that every software developer should be using Swift. But they're also Swift Playgrounds for iPad is is also very clearly marketed at like getting every kid to learn to program Swift, which is which is kind of strange. Um, it's almost kind of futile. <laughs> it's like we're gonna yeah. we're gonna train you to to till the fields from a very young age. <laughs> And then yeah. when you're old enough, it's then you can come. State-sponsored programming. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's I, you know I learned yesterday that uh, at the time of the French Revolution, less than half of the population of France spoke French. It was kind of like a mandated thing by the state that eventually got everybody to learn French. What did uh, they speak? French. Speak? Uh, there there are like thirty regional dialects wow. of like different languages. Um, anyway, this maybe for the bonus. <laughs> yeah. recording maybe you can edit this out i don't know no, but um well i think it would be great to have uh more people have the opportunity to join the computer science industry the software development industry um and that involves getting more children uh excited about computer science at a young age um i don't think that it's a good idea to get every kid to become a software developer like that's kind of silly right like and and swift is very much designed to be a language for software development it's not a language for every person to be able to express ideas in it's a language about memory safety and performance and and kind of like robustness but like kids don't give a crap about that like no kid wants to like no kid cares about uh if their type is is correct when they're trying to make an anthill simulator like they care about <laughs> they care about their problem that they're working on they they don't care if if they have the right enum case like if their program crashes, like it's no big deal. They're not. They're not trying to make a robust program to help Apple sell iPhones. They're trying to make a, a project about squids to get a good grade in their class or to learn about squids. Um, <laughs> so it kind of sounds like instead of software development being the main thing that someone does, and then they learn about a domain in order to solve problems for someone else or for themselves, you're trying to say software development maybe should be more like literacy or more like just this passive thing that maybe anybody could do. And if you're a geologist or a kid who's interested in ants, um, you could build your own simulation of a thing without requiring a software developer and like catapult your, your, your understanding further. Right. Like, I, I, I will correct you a little bit. Like, I don't think software development should be like literacy because literacy, we've decided like everybody should learn. Mm -hmm. Everybody should become literate. And the reason why we do that isn't because we want everybody to become a journalist or an, an author or a novelist or whatever, although it's fine if they do. Um, we we teach everybody how to learn to read and write because that's how our culture has like how it disseminates important ideas like our culture's big ideas are in literature right um and so we want every child to learn how to read it's like very important that they do that um but literature can't can't talk about every kind of idea like you can describe an anthill like the way that i just talked about it earlier on this podcast but to that's not like the best way to understand how an anthill system works like seeing it in real life is one aspect but the benefit of programming it over seeing it in real life is that you can like pause it you can rewind it you can like screw around with it you can ask questions like what if what if there were a million ants like what if there were like what if the ants couldn't find the anthill like you can ask all these questions that you couldn't really ethically do uh <laughs> or or feasibly do with with a live anthill um so i think that everybody should have this kind of computer literacy this everybody should learn this 
this way to create um, to create simulations with the computer um, because there are powerful ideas that that are better suited for it than they are for for books. Yeah, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I, I guess if you don't want to call making simulations with a tool like Beach, if you don't want to call that software programming, then fine. But whatever that is, that ability to define and design your own software simulations, you are you do agree that everybody should have that. Yeah, I, I'll call it software programming, just not software development. Like software development is is like the professional version. Right, of, right, of right, like right. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. we're on the same page then. I think we're on the same page. Yeah. 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 You're saying software development is like being a journalist. Software programming is like being someone who reads the newspaper or you got a bingo. Yeah. Someone who texts their friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I am really looking forward to someday getting to play with this environment. Yeah, I really should put it on the internet somewhere. Um, keeps every time I send him something, he's like, "Dude, you got to tweet this. You got to tweet this right now." Because <laughs> he li- he sends me these cool things <laughs> that are they're not only cool to me, but they're cool to everybody. And I'm just like, just literally tweet exactly what you just said to me, and people are gonna love it. Yeah. No, I I uh, I do plan on on sharing some of it. I just want to get it a little bit more right. Not in the sense that like it's going to be flawless at all, but just uh, you know, some of the stuff is just damn sloppy. Like these prototypes are written very hastily. Like the first thing you learn about writing prototypes is like you have to throw out all of your software developer skills of like making sure it's memory safe and making sure that it's like it's like abstracted properly like it's just supposed to be the nastiest code in the <laughs> world just to get something out as fast as possible sure um, yeah i bet that's hard so it, it or it's kind hard of for is, me i don't know if it's hard for you it's like it's like a funny humble brag right you're like oh man it's so hard to not write good code <laughs> like i'm just so burdened <laughs> by this ability to write beautiful <laughs> code so good at it <laughs> Yeah, um, um, I, I will yeah. say, you know, sort of on the topic of, of you know, your, your, your prototypes being awful and you being sort of a little reticent to share them. There was a, a friend of mine who tweeted this really cool thing. It was actually earlier today. And the, the tweet reads, I think I'm more excited by people's shitty versions of things, sketches, prototypes, etc. than the finished uh, polished thing. That sounds um, so familiar. I'll throw that in the show that's, notes. It's by someone named Jason Kinda. I, I don't know who that Jason. is. Hmm. But... That seems relevant. That's a very insightful tweet. Yeah. I have to say. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> right to me. Yeah. No, I, I'm actually really interested in figuring that out. Like, I, uh, I've i been following this artist for a little while, Brian Lee O'Malley. He's a, a comic book artist. And he uh, he did the Scott Pilgrim books. And uh, he's also working on a new book right now. And and he ha- he shows his sketchbook on Instagram, like, every day. And it's fascinating. It's, it's like, beautiful to see, like, what he's working on and, and his rough drafts of things. And and so I, I'm very much enamored with that idea. I just, I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the programming sketchbook like? Yeah. Um, you know, I can, I can yeah. tweet pictures of things. But, you know, the the point of software is is to see it happen right use it well i Um, think videos and pictures get the point across until eventually you write like the web version of this tool and then um you know i can go click on the equivalent of whatever npm is or github mm -hmm. and say hey play this for me and it just does and you'll be able to show that eventually but for now videos and images are going to have to do is like lo-fi representations of the ideas that you're trying to express yeah yeah Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true maybe i should apply like a uh insta Instamax filter on it or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, I have one more question. Uh, tell me about the name Beach. Ah, yeah. Um, 
So I would be totally lying if I if I said that like I thought of it because it had like all of this great meaning behind it. Um, the truth is, I was um, I was listening to an album by Neil Young. It's called On the Beach, and it's it's my favorite album by him. And I was listening to the the titular song, and uh, I was just like, this is just like a really great name for a programming environment for some reason. Um, so that that's like the original origin of it. But then I thought about it a little more, and um, it's actually kind of a good metaphor in a lot of ways. So a beach is a can be a relaxing place. It's a place where you go to unwind. Um, it's also a playful place, especially for children. You can build models of things like sandcastles. Um, beaches are often broad, uh, and they face a long, inviting horizon. They let you explore the water, starting out shallow and then going as deep as you want, as your skills allow. Uh, so I, I just thought it worked really well after I thought about it some more. So I kind of stuck with it. Nice. Cool. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for telling us about your cool project. We look forward to seeing more of it. Um, if you want to follow Jason on Twitter, at Jason Brennan. And we also put his blog in the show notes uh, in case yep. he does decide to share. So maybe more long-form stuff about Beach. Um, Jason, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jason. It's been great to hear about this project and uh, great to get to talk to you again. Awesome. My pleasure. Cool. Take care.